Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Joey Sturge's Tones. Creating unique audio tools for musicians and producers everywhere. Unleash your creativity with Joey Sturge's Tones. Visit joeysturgestones.com for more info. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joe Wanasek, and A.L. Levy. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am A.L. Levy, and with me is special guest Diego Farias from Volumes. He's a producer out of Los Angeles, and you know him for working with bands like Fela Maya, Chelsea Grin, Animals as Leader, Structure, Straight from the Path, Bermuda, and of course, all the Volumes albums. But he also makes beats and works on all kinds of different genres of music and was even the recipient of two Latin Grammy Awards for his work with Juan Gabriel, including Album of the Year, which is the highest honor you can get. Comes from a musical family, son of Gustavo Farias, which is a very, very accomplished Latin music producer. I mean... Pretty cool background you've got there, man. Uh, and thanks for being with us. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, nice that we finally could meet up and do this because we've been trying for over a month. Yeah, it, it was tough. Well, you know, I was on the road and things just... I'm glad it finally happened. Likewise. And uh, sorry I missed you at NAM last week before we started recording. Diego was telling me that he went to NAM, but it tired him the fuck out. And um, I feel <laughs> I feel you on that because, man, every si- I feel like Nam takes so much energy out of me. I think it's not just the walking; it's the you have to be constantly on, talking to people nonstop for hours and hours. Plus, you're surrounded by so much noise. It's like a giant guitar center on steroids with drums going at all times and from all directions oh yeah man when i got back home i I went i just went one day but when i got back i was beat i went straight to bed and i felt i even felt it the next day just from i don't know man just you exert a lot of energy for sure well this was my first year going as i guess an exhibitor because I work uh, with JST, and we, we had, had a, a booth. booth. And I wasn't tied to the booth or anything, but I still had to be there part of the time. And, uh, man, it's, it's fucking intense. Because I guess when I would go as a musician, I always had the option of hiding. <laughs> if, I, if I felt like hiding, I could just go back to my hotel. Yeah. But uh, not this time. So do you feel like going is worth it for you, though, at this point? Or was it ever worth it for you? Yeah, 100%. I think it's really cool to go check out. I'm really... um, I kind of spend most of my time in the software section. You know, it's cool to see all these plugin companies come and they showcase, like, what they're about to release this next year. And you get... Sometimes you get to use and and hear plugins that aren't even out yet and software that isn't even out yet. And then, you know, cool people come and give speeches. It's cool to come watch and learn. You know, it helps you stay intact with with, uh, what's up and coming this year and, and it's just you know for us nerds us nerdy musicians um we get a kick out of it i guess the talk now is what slate just announced did you see that i saw some of it yeah it's like a virtual recording studio yeah it looks pretty ridiculous that i feel like that was like the main talk of i guess everyone 
that I know, that was the number one thing that they were talking about was the virtual recording studio. It seemed interesting. I, I talked to the dudes over at Slave for a little bit. I guess they have like a an interface coming out, and it works good with their virtual recording mic. The, the mic they put out yeah. that models like every other mic, and it, it's like pretty. It's pretty accurate. It's crazy. I don't know how they did that, but I'm sure you know. You sound like you know more of it than. Than I do. <laughs> no, I'm actually trying to get the info out of you because <laughs> I because I don't I didn't get a chance to actually go to the slate booth. So tell me if I'm right. So this thing works with their microphone and uh, has a probably models a bunch of preamps too, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if it models preamps. I'm assuming it does, but uh, I guess it's it's the first time Slate's releasing an interface. I guess it's uh, synchronized with the microphone they released, the, the virtual microphone. It, it models like, it's like a microphone you buy and you can model like a U87, U47, a whole bunch of mics. And like, I remember a couple years ago I went to NAMM and uh, they had like a real U, FET U47 next to the Slate one. And they had them together, and he would rec- and like Stephen Slate was recording audio into them, and then he'd play it back, and it, you couldn't tell the difference. It was scary good. And I I love that technology is at that point now. Like I remember when I guess the first wave of modeling stuff came out, and it was such a disaster. Like uh, with the original Pod, or there was actually Antares, I believe. Uh, you know, they make auto-tune. They first made a microphone modeling software where it was supposed to do that, like in 2005 or something. But it was terrible, man. It was fucking awful. And so I just remember for the longest time, all this modeling stuff was just a joke. And then I got a Kemper in like 2012 or something, like right before it was released. And really? I was like, wow. Yeah, this is uh, this is the future. Like, it's actually good now. You know, I used Kemper on our new record, and I, w- I was blown away by... It's crazy how fast you can get shit to sound good on it. And that that's what kind of sold it to me, because I've been an XFX user for a while now, and I, I just, you know, with XFX, I have to spend a lot of time dialing in tones. And I felt like with the Kemper, we just kind of... Um, we downloaded some profiles and then tweaked them a little bit, and within, like, 15, 20 minutes, we had, like... A recordable tone that we could actually some of it might have even made it to like the final mixes you know so you so you didn't actually even model an amp you just downloaded tones no yeah we just downloaded profiles online do you remember which ones because i know the audience is going to be curious about that mm, uh i think i don't remember the exact names but they were 5150 modelers we downloaded a bunch of pv stuff for the heavy tones i think it was brown face for some of the clean tones but uh, nice. actually, a lot of the leads we ended up using Guitar Rig Five, just because like I feel like Guitar Rig Five, the the way it sounds, it, it kind of sits for lead work. It kind of sits nice and mixes, and it's cool because it has all the built-in delays and effects. And to have that all in a plugin is just kind of like I don't know. It's better for you. It's easier for your, my workflow. I've never used Guitar Rig Five, but oh really? The guys, yeah. The but it's just for some reason there's so many different amp sims out there that's just the one that i've never used no it's but. great it's it's great um i mean i know joey just released a, a new one that it's mm-hmm. i love that one too i just got it the jason richardson tone forge oh i haven't i haven't gotten that one yet but i do uh, have i have the ben bruce and then i th- i think i have the og tone forge so do you have guilty pleasure um no i don't is that the oh. wait is that the original 
Pleasure you Menace get guilty. is the one I have. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good, but guilty pleasure is is different. I'll make sure you get that and the Jason Richardson one. Cool. Yeah, I'll send you that after this podcast. Yeah, it was fun. I was just talking to Jason like earlier today. I hit him up. I had some some guitar questions for him. Like playing questions? No, nah, just some guitar spec questions. You know, because mm. he knows everything about Ernie Balls and did he made me get an Ernie Ball like back in the day, like four years ago. We were on the first tour he did with Chelsea Grin, and on that tour he convinced me to get an Ernie Ball. He's like, no, nah, because I was playing Schechter at the time. And uh, he made me buy one, and it's funny because I mean um, I play I'm with Ibanez right now, but um, I tracked a lot of the heavier stuff on the Ibanez, but a lot of the lighter stuff, and there's there's a lot lighter stuff, and a lot of the solo work on a new record, it's all done with an Ernie Ball. I I think that they make great guitars, great strings, great basses, and we're gonna hang out with Jason this coming weekend for Nail the Mix, and really, uh, yeah, because Taylor Larson's doing it. And we're going to to Maryland to hang out with Taylor, but Jason lives there too, so he'll be with us. I can't. I want to try one of his guitars. I haven't gotten the chance. So tell me more about Guitar Rig Five, though, because from I've only it's one of those plugins that either guys I really respect use it or guys that I know totally suck use it. There's no there's no no in between. I mean, I was an OG use man, I've been on guitar for a minute now. The first volume ZP, the concept of dreaming, that's actually all uh, that was 100% guitar rig 3. And then for Via, we used GTR and Guitar Rig 3 and we kind of blended that. And then for No Sleep, I used Axe Effects. Dude, you're the second guy to tell me on this podcast that uh, they use GTR, the uh, other guy was Michael Keane. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, it's it's great for tracking demos. You know, it's low latency. It does have like a sharp sound to it, like a like a high mid thing that that kind of it kind of bugs me sometimes. But uh, honestly, like what I was <laughs> for a while my, on my on my template, my go to template for for writing for volumes or for whatever band, I had guitar rig. I know it was GTR. And I would go to Shredder and I'd keep everything at 12 o'clock. And then I'd just, I'd put the Pro Tools gate expander. And on that expander, there's a preset called Noisy Instrument. And <laughs> you click that, lower the threshold just a little bit. Um, and then I'd run it through through like a plug-in EQ, like a Waze Renaissance EQ 6. I, I cut off some low end and like boost like a 1 or 2K, a couple dB. And then I just run the, the GTR shredder preset on 12 o'clock and it, it sounded great and we uh, honestly i think i put out we put out one of the volumes the volley pre-pro which some people think it's it sounds better than the final mix that's just straight gtr on shredder with like literally at everything at 12 o'clock i think i might have boosted a, like tweaked the treble knob a little bit but that was cool but back to your question with gtr i love gtr i think it's um i don't know if it's it, it could compete with the kemper for final mixes but if you're just on the go you know, and you have a laptop with you or whatever. It's a great portable plugin that gets the job done. Like there's um there's an amp modeler on uh on Guitaric Five. I think it's the Ultrasonic, and that's that's like I I use that a lot. And then it has this like psychic delay, and it's like a stereo delay, and uh, it's it sounds really nice. I I love it for leads. The notes resonate really well. That's what I like about Guitar Rig 5, or all just all the guitar rigs. The notes you play, even even when you have a heavy tone, they, they resonate well, and you can hear the notes. And uh, you know, it's, so you could you could still be heavy, but it keeps it musical and it allows you it allows you to keep that balance where, you know, you're it's it's heavy, but 
you know, you're playing notes at the same time, so you want them to be heard. So there's a high ratio of note to, uh, I guess, distortion. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't know what to call that, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Just a, l- a lot of note in the tone. Yeah, it, it's something I find with, with plugging guitar amps. Like, the notes resonate well, but uh, especially in Guitar 5. I think it's because with amp sims, the entire tone is built off of a DI, right? Like, it's not... Uh, yeah. A microphone picking up air it's actually the the pure guitar signal so i feel like sometimes with amp sims even there's so much note in there that you can sometimes hear the the clean like you can hear the di through the amp sim even yeah. and sometimes i feel like i need to eq that out but like once you eq that out you have like the perfect amount of note with distorted tone it's cool it's that's one of the that's like the advantage of using a guitar sim and it's you know in my head obviously over the years i've always i've gone back and forth back and forth back and forth you know because a lot of the for the volumes records on the final mixes for everything that we've released other than no sleep and uh i guess feels good our, our latest single it's all been guitar simulators i definitely back them they're they're a good good route but now i mean honestly nowadays with kemper you know, when you ha- now you have Kemper and Axe effects, like, you know, you can't really fuck with those. No, not really. I mean, so with my Kemper, most of the tones that I used were actually modeled from amps. And I guess when it first came out, lots of guys didn't trust that it would sound good. And I was working at a studio called Audio Hammer, and we had a lot of older school death metal bands coming through and bands that were like amp purists and we would do these a b's with them like this is the model tone this is the 5150 guess which one is which and they would typically guess it wrong because we could get the kemper to sound better than the amp often yeah i'm not surprised man i've had the same the same results with kemper it's it's crazy and you can use it on the road yeah you could take it on the road with you and it, it, there's something about the Kemper that even the Axe Effects doesn't have, like the artifact, like something about like uh, your tone, like the artifacts. It has the same artifacts you would hear on a real amp, you know, if you're micing it up. It yeah. just, it's like not, it's it's crazy what they did. I don't know how they do it, but um, I, I definitely back Kemper 100%, especially for studio, you know, because in the studio, it's kind of like you're putting everything under a mi- magnifying glass, you know, people are going to be hearing it through their car stereos and and uh headphones and like isolated environments so it's a huge advantage it's the only one of the amp sims that i know of where the guitar amp purists that i've had to work with will sit down and plug in and be like wow it feels like an amp oh yeah for sure and i i'll even go as far as to say that i feel like even axe effects can't reproduce that like as well as kemper you know yeah i i agree and it's interesting what you said about axe effects that you feel like there's so much more tweaking involved me and uh me and andrew wade were talking about this the like at some point that it feels like with axe effects you can sit there for two hours and just like tweak and tweak and tweak and it doesn't necessarily get better it just gets different yeah and it's annoying agree more for sure it pisses me off because it's like what am i doing like i i feel like a guitar tone you should be able to get it within 15 to 30 minutes that's what i'm saying yeah for sure yeah and if you're not if you don't get it that quickly something's wrong like maybe you're using the wrong guitar or you pick the wrong amp 
or the wrong pickups or the wrong player. You know, just something's wrong. And uh, unless if you're using an Axe FX, and then it might take you two hours or three hours. Also, what happens is if if you're sitting there dialing in tones, man, after 30, 45 minutes, like, your judgment is is impaired. Yes. You know, it's like you don't have that energy. You're not looking, like, it uh, kind of gets washed away after 45 minutes of, of just tone, you know, searching or whatever. But um, I've done some gnarly sessions with Axe Effects, man. Like, I remember for No Sleep, I was like, I I did like a couple days straight where I was like eight hours a day. Just the whole day, all I did was just dial in tones and work on the same patch. And it's just, that's why when I started using Kemper and we got a tone in 20 minutes, I was like, holy shit. No, yeah, like this is my jam right here. But uh, I mean, Axe Effects is cool. It's it's really cool for live, you know, because once you dial in that, that tone, it's great that it works with MIDI. So I have all my MIDI patch changes programmed on the computer. And I have that hooked up to my Axe Effects, so I don't even have to do anything. They, they just change for me. And uh, it's really great with effects. You get stereo effects. You get really nice reverbs. You can think like a producer, like an engineer, the way you would mix with your Axe Effects. So it, it's cool. It's, it's like a computer for the guitar. So it's, it's cool. I do love its effects. I will say that. And I do love its... Um Axe at it. That program is fucking sick. Oh and yeah, I, for sure. I wish that uh, Kemper had something like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of they just have the profiler, huh? That yeah, and I haven't seen anything quite on par with Axe at it. I no, think yeah. if you're a creative person and you want to like, okay, so I feel like the kinds of tones that we're talking about being tough to make on the axe effects or rhythm are like your straight ahead rhythm heavy tones those are the ones that i have a hard time with but when it comes to like making crazy sounds or something or cleans or whatever i feel like you can you can get really creative shit with the axe effects um if you use axe edit like if uh, a creative person can really have a, a good time with it but when it comes to the standard tones like your meat and potatoes like the tones that are going to be like 80 percent of your guitar tones on the album i'd rather not use an axe effects no for sure that's that see that's where kemper really in my opinion, based on my experience, that's where it really excels, you know? And that's kind of like, I'm a simple guy, man. I don't, I don't really like, I'm not too crazy with effects. I love delays. I love reverbs. I love compression. But uh, all in all, like, you, you can do a lot of that post, you know? And if, and if your, your meat and potatoes, the way you said it, isn't, set, like, set or it's not right, it's kind of like everything else is, is secondary to that, so. So let's uh, switch gears. I want to talk a little bit about how you how you balance things in your life because you work on a bunch of different things i mean you've got a band which is a real band not just like some local band like you're in a band that's you know one of the well-known bands in the genre um tour a lot tour a lot yeah active but you've also got a production career and lots of times people who are in heavy bands, also produce heavy bands, which you do, but at the same time, you have a whole other career working on hip-hop or Latin music, and it's so hard for metal guys to get work outside of metal, but it seems like that's just what you do. Can How do you balance all that? That's a ton of shit. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I'll just... I feel like 
Initially, man, I'm kind of like an ADD person in in a good way. I think it's like a my mind works in kind of like blocks. I do play in a metal band, and, and we are established, and and I've I've uh, you know toured with the band for the last five six years, and um, it's been a hell of a ride to get it built up. But um, you know, growing up. In my family, you know, I was always around a lot of different styles of music. And, uh, you know, my bass was always recording and production. And, you know, from an early age, I, I never wanted to be, like, limited to to one genre or one thing. And even when Volumes was first was first taking off, you know, back then I was still, like, even though I was producing Volumes and, doing, and recording other bands, I was still, like, I had my... I, I would, you know, record hip-hop or uh, I would start pop projects with like you know singers in my area or like anyone i knew i I just i've always been working with people that like music and from that from uh working with other people i learn a lot you know so it's kind of just always been a thing and it's cool that you know five six years down the road like it's all kind of paid off and it's just kind of like um Things take time to build, you know, and some things kind of blow up faster than others, you know, and, and I, th- I think volumes just kind of got out there. And then later on, now that my other stuff is, is kind of gotten, sh- uh, shed some light, people are starting to, like, realize, oh, shit, this guy also does other stuff. So, but balancing it all, it's a huge challenge, you know, because I'm always going on tour and it's, it's always, like, Things are always um, hectic, but it's kind of like I just as soon as I get back from tour, I just focus and, and force myself kind of force myself to focus on on my other projects and balancing things out, scheduling things out the right way. But I think, dude, at the end of the day, it all, it all comes down to my passion for music, man. I just love doing this shit. So like when I wake up, whether it's metal, hip hop, pop or whatever, like I'm stoked to do it, you know, and at the end of the day, if you go on tour for two months and you're at, you're at home for two, three months, like. You know, if you wake up and work on music every day, that's that's two, three months, like, worth of work, you know, and, and um, eventually through the years, like, you know, you end up allotting a lot of time to different things. Like, the last year, I um, I started working with this rapper, Puya, and he kind of, like, gave me a shot at, like, making beats for him, and uh, that was really cool, man, and, you know, honestly, having this studio and just knowing my way with engineering and and just being proficiently trained at at engineering and uh producing like knowing my way with software and and listening to a lot of different types of music like i don't really listen to metal you know i i kind of get my metal fix just from writing volumes and touring you know but obviously when i first started the band i was i was like a huge like that was like mostly what i listened to but um even before i even got into metal i was listening to a lot of hip-hop a lot of a lot of like rock so would you say that uh volumes has just always been one piece of the pie like i guess just one piece of all these different things that you do and it like you said it just happened to to take off first so people know you for it but you've always done a ton of stuff yeah yeah i've always been deeply passionate about hip-hop deeply passionate about honestly pop and, and like I said, honest, I learned a lot from working with other people. So, you know, when I was a kid growing up in high school and I learned how to record, I started recording bands and then I'd just find other people that were cool at music that, you know, through school or through friends or local musicians. And um, I would just work with them and, and I learned a lot just from sitting in the studio, seeing the way people approach music also always putting myself in in a situation to where i'm forced to like 
get better, you know? Like, it's it's always, it's beneficial to surround yourself with people who keep you on your toes, you know, who are who are just as good, if not better than you. Dude, that's, uh, that's I kind of live my life by that. When I was in a band, I tried to be the worst musician in the band, and it worked for us. It, I mean, we got signed and everything, and I feel like all of that is due to, I put together a fucking awesome band because the goal was, Basically, if I'm better than you, you don't belong in this band because I'm not that good at guitar, in my opinion. And with my business now, I kind of feel the same way. I want to be the dumbest dude in the room with my partners. And I'm always blown away by how smart they are. And I feel like... It's a good position to be in, you know, because you're always learning and it's kind of like the school of life. You know, if if I absorb so much from working with other people, man, it's, it's crazy, like... That's kind of like been my school, and obviously growing up with my father, who's has all these, you know, he he does a lot of stuff, and he gave me a good peace of mind growing up. Like when I first picked up a guitar, and I was first starting to play, you know, he told me, you know, real musicians play to a click, practice to a click, learn your songs, everything you're playing, like have a tempo, like learn how to keep it right. But it, even with saying that, I kind of I took what he would tell me, and obviously everyone's their own kind of like person and he's he's never he was never like really into metal i just i kind of got honestly my big brother got gus who's in volumes a singer he kind of got me into metal so i have to thank him for that so do you think that uh working that i mean growing up with a a dad who's as accomplished as your dad is that that pushed you or do you think it's more just you were around it so you got into it and the reason i'm asking is because my dad's a pretty well-known orchestral conductor and so i grew up in that environment just around lots of classical soloists always going to concerts traveling for concerts music all the time and even though it was imposed on me some i just gravitated towards it i wanted to do it 100 percent, man it, it was i feel like i'm so lucky because i was born into this environment where you know, I had access to a recording studio and um, people with the knowledge of music. But aside from that, I got obsessed with music. Like, regardless of that, whether I would have had that or not, I got obsessed like obsessed with music at an early age. So I just took everything I could around me and, and learned as much as I could. You know, and, and I remember as a kid, by the time I was 12, I was, like, freaking out at the fact that I could be around a recording studio. So... By the time I was 12, 13, I was already using Pro Tools and going to the studio and bugging the engineer, asking, like, you know, just annoying the shit out of him, asking every single little tiny question, kind of getting in the way of things. That definitely, that definitely helped me out. So I'd say it's definitely, it's definitely both, you know. I also had friends growing up that they, you know, their families not, might have not been musical, but, you know, their, their, their love for music and their passion drove them to learn everything you know because you could you could have all this stuff around you but if you're not motivated and you're not driven to learn to really struggle and push yourself like as hard as like you know your peers or the people that you want to be like you know push themselves like personally you just you you won't get there you know there's definitely i guess an advantage to being born into it oh but it doesn't but it doesn't mean it doesn't guarantee you anything it doesn't guarantee you anything you still have to you still have to learn and struggle you know but but you know having that information uh readily accessible is a huge major key to 
to learning, you know. But, you know, if you don't have it accessible to you as easy as uh, people like you or I did, you know, you know, you have the Internet nowadays. You could go to school. And you got to just really try, man, and, and, and really think for yourself. And, you know, no one's ever going to lay anything out. Like, no one's ever going to hand you anything. You know, you kind of have to, not kind of, but you have to go out there and get it. You know, no one's going to. And then even if you do accomplish it, people are going to try to fucking, there's going to be, like, situations and, and uh, you know, rocks along the road. However you want to say it. There's just going to be, you got to learn from your failures. You know, no one's perfect. Everyone's going to fuck up. Uh, you know, at some point, with, with any little things, small things, it's it's how you learn from your your failures. I think allow you to succeed. Everybody gets knocked down. I think that there's definitely a misconception about whether things can get handed to you in music. I don't think they can, because at the end of the day, you're only as good as like if you're a mixer, you're as good as your last mix, and it doesn't matter who your dad is. The what matters is is the mix good. Um, yeah, if you're a guitarist, you're only as good as your guitar playing, and no, nothing but what you put into your guitar playing is going to make you a better guitar player, and that's what you get judged on. So no one, no one can hand you talent. No one can hand you nope. like you, you, you have to just work for it, man. And there's no way around it. So you're. Uh, it's interesting to me that like some of the things that your dad gave you are very very practical that's some of what my dad gave me too like i remember when i was in high school bands he would come watch our show and be like you need to not worry about this band and just worry about getting good at your own personal level because i guarantee you that none of these guys are going to be making music when they're adults and i'd get so mad at him and be like but we're gonna make it Uh, he'd be like he'd be like no you just need to worry about your own level yo that is that's so reminiscent to what i feel like my dad my dad would tell me as a kid they're right yeah dude the other one was when my my band i thought my band was good and i say my band we're better than all the other bands we play with and he'd be like why do you compare yourself to the worst bands what do you sound like compared to the best bands and then i'd be like now i want to kill myself no exactly yeah man it's like my dad would always tell me you know higher your standards higher your standards you know like there's a big world out there there's a lot of there's a lot of different music out there and uh, yo going back to the the thing where um you told me how i balance everything you know growing up like my dad always told me he's like, yo metal's just you know or not even metal but just you know, don't limit yourself to one genre, Diego. There's a huge world of music out there. You know, you should go to music school. You should, you know, go do this, go do that, try doing this. And that for sure had a huge influence on me because from a kid, even though I had this whole side of me that was like, yo, all I want to do is, I, I mean, at one point, you know, in high school, I was like, all I want to do is metal. This is what I love. Like, this is, you know, like, I got it down like it's fucking, or not even I got it down, but I'm so passionate about this and I, I love it. Even then I had, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful I had my father to tell me like, hey, there's there's other stuff out there. So in the back of my head, I'd always be like, fuck, well, I should, I should also try learning other music that I love, you know? And that's the thing for me, like maybe um, I kind of always stuck to what I was really passionate about. And, you know, thankfully I was really passionate about production. You know, so that's, aside from playing guitar, like, production and engineering was, was always a huge passion of mine. So getting in the car and listening to the radio, when you listen to radio songs, like, yo, the production and engineering on that is, it, that's, like, top level, like, top notch. So even as a kid, at, you know, in high school, I'd, I could relate to 
loving like radio music or like you know or stuff I heard on the radio like or um, I used to take drum lessons and guitar lessons so I'd always look up like I was a huge drummer fan like look up videos of Vinnie Colaiuta, Dave Weckl, Steve Gadd you know um, guitar players on YouTube you know like Chris Broderick you just absorb it all like a sponge yeah man and I, I was just always like into a lot of different shit you know and I, I'd kind of like always jump in from different worlds I'd be like hmm if I was like a drummer what would be my my idols you know if, if I was only a drummer like or I guess the drummer inside of me always looked at these drummers as idols and then the guitar player inside of me always looked at these guitar players as idols and then the producer inside of me always looked at these produ- Dr. Luke, Max Martin, you know, like Timbaland, like all these all these crazy cats like I always they've just always been on my radar and it's it's I just love it all, man. So it sounds like you get obsessed with different things like say you you get obsessed with drummers. Do you like then just go and find drummers for like a period of time, like maybe like yeah. a, a week or a night or a month? Just spend all your free time on it. Yeah, I used to. I used to, uh, take drum lessons, and my drum teacher would this guy named Emerson, Emerson Wall, great guy. He, he we used to like just sit in his room, and he would just sh- teach me about all these great drummers, and we just watch videos. And I, w- I would just be so amazed. And then as soon as the video was done, he would, like, break down something they were doing and be like, all right, this is the exercise, like, the paradiddle that they were doing or whatever. And it would just be so cool for me. It was, like, it was so much fun. I was like a little kid in a toy store. You know, one thing that I've always thought is that modern producers need to be musicians. And in the back in the day, like in the analog days, engin- there were engineers that were just engineers because there was a lot more actual technical science to it. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like, they, in the original days, people were fucking lab coats, and but that's all changed. I mean, there is technical science to it, but I think that the job of a producer-engineer now is a lot more intermingled with actual musicianship. And I, I feel like one thing that producers should do is learn various instruments and I did the same thing I took voice lessons I took drum lessons guitar is my main instrument but I also took bass lessons orchestration lessons and I think that guys who want to get good at this should do that too because it will open up your understanding of music in a way that nothing else will oh 100% yo and something man piano is an instrument like oh yeah piano that that one too yeah I, I used to take piano lessons and i never picked it up like i did the guitar but now that i'm like heavy into other styles of music where it's not my guitar is not the main instrument like you know a piano is such a valuable asset to arranging and, and music production and just and just writing songs i mean if you if you just take a look at the instrument like the way it's laid out it's just it makes more sense it's it's easier for the human brain to grasp like notes on a piano than it is on a guitar where it's just kind of like you have the same note five different you know in in the same tonal range in the same octave like five different places on the guitar you know and, and with a piano it's like kind of like the same like it's just a, a group of 12 notes completely repeated and it, it's like the pattern is the same i don't know but what i'm saying is it's it's kind of like a a lot of the music you hear on the radio, a lot of a lot of other styles, a lot of music is written on on piano, and the way chord music theory was like written, I'm pretty sure like it makes more most sense on a piano, or it makes it more does. sense on a piano to me than it does on a guitar. So guitar is a very counterintuitive instrument. Actually, it's not it's not a good 
instrument for writing. I mean, it's good for writing metal and stuff like that, but for actually writing music music that doesn't necessarily involve a guitar 100% of the time, it's a really shitty instrument. <laughs> Yo, honestly, I didn't want to say that, but like, honestly, I, I agree with you. Like, it's just, it kind of doesn't make sense. It's kind of like retarded when you, if you think about things theoretically, like a major chord is just, you have to like look at the guitar and count frets. Whereas a piano major chord, it's like, all right, boom, like three, you know? Yeah, exactly. The, the way that the chords lay out, on a guitar to you have to get into all kinds of weird chord shapes just to have normal chords yes it's not designed for ease of use basically also notes don't sustain so it's hard to it's hard to write like a good melody like a good simple melody with long notes on the guitar because the lack of sustain on a guitar the way that say a voice would have it's hard to uh mimic that and also if you think about it man on a piano you can hit 10 notes at the same time you have 10 fingers yep so with a guitar you have six notes so yeah. you know you're within just with with that you're kind of limited so i mean but i mean with that being said like sometimes restrictions kind of allow creativity you know i know piano players like that kind of like my buddy roger who i work with a lot he's a really great piano player and he's he's like classically trained and i had him come in and, and co-write on volumes his album and we ended up doing i think one or two songs in the album and it was cool because he bought like this little shitty like casio at toys r us like a 40 dollars little casio and he liked it because it limited the notes he could play and, and that within itself like we were able to capture some really cool ideas like you know stuff we didn't even end up using for volumes but we were just recording like really cool like stuff and it's cool to see how limiting yourself in a way could kind of spawn a creative result well i think limiting yourself is a lot is very similar to the concept that we actually teach in production and mixing of committing to sounds quickly. It's a similar sort of effect that it has on the brain because when you know that you're going to commit to a tone, you actually are forced to make it as good as you can right then and there and then move on. And that's the so, best way to work, bro. I've, I've honestly, after like my whole life of working on music and producing, like I can definitely say it's the best way to work. And I'll let you finish. Oh, so I was just going to say that but that imposes a limitation. And I agree, it is the best way to work. And with writing, too, one of the hardest things that I think people have with writing is the blank, a blank DAW or a blank page, like how to start something. And by imposing limitations, it's a lot easier to not only start, but commit to something and feel good about it. Yeah. One thing I would say, going back to the engineering and production aspect, yo, the last couple of years I've been really honing in on doing vocals and I've gotten the opportunity to track, like somehow end up in, in some really like cool situations. Like last year, uh, I recorded this song, Broccoli, for this artist, uh, Drum, and, um, we kind of recorded it in like 20 minutes. Nice. And like we released a song, he released a song on SoundCloud and dude, it blew up and it, it's all on the radio, just went double platinum and it just got nominated for a Grammy. And I like, I, I would have never expected like that to happen. I, you know, we were kind of like, we were just, it was very nonchalant, you know, he, he improvised the hook on the spot. And with that being said, like a lot of the, with the engineering of, of, of everything, um, doing those sessions, I learned, cause I, it was at, the sessions were being done at a, at a studio in Hollywood. 
and it, I think it was this dude named Yeti, and he was like, one of all these cats are like really dope, like really good engineers, and and um, so when I opened up the sessions to kind of work on the songs, like I noticed they were only using like one or two plugins, and the mixes sounded really good. I was like, damn, these mixes sound better than mine. I'm using like five, ten, you know, plugins to get the same effect, and that's when I, that kind of helped me learn, like, oh shit, like, you know, just opening up one. EQ and uh, opening up one compressor and knowing what the hell you're doing with that compressor and the EQ and just getting it to sound like good on the spot it it, it uh, it's a major key to producing a good final product and just in, in doing your job right as an engineer and getting shit to sound like good quick absolutely I definitely think that there's a lot to that and in Nail the Mix we've now had a lot of guest mixers on and it's amazing how and Kyle Black, who's worked with you guys, uh, we had we had him on, and he's the perfect example of being simplistic and making things sound amazing. Yo, somehow. that guy, that guy is an amazing ear man. He's been mixing. I had him mix volumes his album, and uh, yeah, I'll let you continue. He's a great mixer, great and great guy. Well, I I actually wanted to talk about that a little bit because the thing that blew me away was just how simple his mixes were, but how incredible they sounded. Like when he started dialing in drums on the State Champs on Nail the Mix, he w- he first of all, he worked very, very quickly. And he didn't do a he didn't have like chains and chains and chains of plugins. He was very, very simple with what he used, but it was very, very specific and it made it sound great. And I think that there's a lot to that, that you know exactly what the tool does and what the source tone needs and how you're going to use that tool on that source tone for the best result. There's no, it's not guesswork. Like, you know exactly what you're going for. Yeah, man. Knowing what, how to use a compressor and knowing what, like having a good ear, like listening carefully to stuff and, you know, tackling problem frequencies. And honestly, what I I like doing a lot of subtractive EQing. That's what I've been doing a lot. But just knowing how to use your tools and like what, what, when we were talking about limiting yourself, knowing how to use th- these tools, compression EQ properly, it really is a major key, man, to like to getting a good mix, to to being successful as a producer, to just doing your job right. Tell me a little more about watching, about working with Kyle. Actually, I'm curious about that because um, it's interesting to me that he worked with you guys because he's not known for that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I've worked on all the done all the volumes mixes in the past, and this time around, me and Brandon Paddock produce all volumes and stuff. We'll produce the last record and. Uh, we were planning on mixing it ourselves, and uh, but you know we uh, volumes took a, a long time on this album because I really wanted to. Well, we went through a vocalist change, but aside from that, I really wanted to. We wrote like 25 songs and only used like the 10 best ones, um, and I, I really wanted to make sure with this album that all the songs were great and they were. There's no like cookie cutter shit, you know. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, after a year and a half of hammering these songs out, I felt like we were uh, we were kind of burnt out on it. And like I listened back to our mixes and like I liked stuff about them, but they just weren't like I felt like we had just listened to the songs way too much. And and yeah. the, the product was kind of like 75, 80 percent, like 75 percent there, like sonically. You know, but it's still, or maybe 80%. I give us a good 80%. But, like, yo, the last 20% to get that, la- the last kind of, like, push on the mixes, like, I just thought it would be good to give it to someone else. So I was thinking about it. But that being said, I was on my way to Brandon's one day, and I was listening to State Champs. And I was like, damn, yo, this record sounds great. This record sounds amazing. Like, 
I wonder who did this. And then I pull up to Brandon's and we start working and he's like, oh, hey, my buddy wants to grab sushi, my buddy Kyle. Uh, I'm like, cool. And on the way there, he, he, Brandon told me, he's like, oh yeah, he did state champs. And I think he worked on some of the Pierce Avail stuff back in the day. And I was like, yo, for real, Brandon? I was just listening to those mixes on the way to the car. I mean, on the way to your studio. And, and as I was listening to the mixes, I was like, damn, it'd be cool to get whoever makes this state chance record to work on volumes like I bet I bet he could get like the way I picture these songs sounding final in my head like I bet whoever did this to state champs could get him to sound right you know complete the vision mm -hmm. and so we met up with him and then uh, he came he ended up coming over to Brandon's studio later that night and he heard the record he heard the songs and he really liked them and we were kind of like a time crunch and so we needed help we were like yo can you you know at least mix one song so we could get it out you know and have it have it be the single and he was down man and he just he did a test mix and it sounded incredible and um he like made the final mixes sound the way i envisioned them sounding so i really applaud him for that because like you know i'm not a, <laughs> we're not like me and brandon like being producers and and building this 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 work of art for the last year and a half and us being so technical ourselves and like being in charge of finalizing so many other mixes for other people and for ourselves like we're we have a very like specific vision you know and and kyle was just yep. able to come in and boss out and and get 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 the songs to where they needed to be but yeah work, working at his studio he had a he had a really cool setup he's using a lot of analog gear he was running through a summing bus and um yeah it all just synchronized pretty well when's when's it coming out uh album should be out within the next couple months it's pretty much done i actually have to send kyle some some files today for him to like wrap up the album and send off to mastering next week nice I he played me some of it when he was at my place for nail the mix. Oh, for real? I made him. I uh, I forced him to. I put a gun to his head. Um, <laughs> no, it sounds cool, incredible. Man. I'm I'm so I'm happy he showed you, man. And, yo, and I gotta see the nail the mix for state champs, cause like, yo, that's I love that mix, man. Oh, I'll uh, I'll after this podcast is over, I'll give you access to it for sure. Please do. Yeah, that that yeah, man, Kyle's incredible. That album is just like blows me away and what he did with this new volumes album is just so sick yeah i i agree what i because he played it for me before i knew what a, i knew he was good and of course we don't have chumps on nail the mix so like it wasn't like i knew he was good of course and state champs sounded great and so we had him there but i didn't know what a badass he was yet until <laughs> Like, because I hadn't watched him mix, and I was honestly a little curious to hear what it sounded like with him doing metal, and it sounded great. Yeah, man. And it sounds unique, too. That's what I like about it. It, it definitely sounds unique, but it also has this uh, this pop kind of polish in the vocals. That's And that's what I wanted, you know? I mean, we, we yeah. um, Brandon's like a really poppy producer, too. Like, I think he did some stuff with, with Avril Lavigne, and he used to work for John Fellman. So it, it, the, the record has that, had that edge to it, and he was able to keep that and keep it fortified, but blend it in to the to all the, with all these heavy tones and like rocky sound like so we ended up with like a really like the record's really it gets really heavy but it's like when it needs to be like poppy it's like it's mixed away like a radio song will be mixed like i feel like i'm hearing like a modern lincoln park in a way yeah and, that, and that's how i've always wanted my stuff to sound like always being like a you know a, a production geek and, and and nerd you know when i'm when i'm listening to the, like britney spears records or whatever whatever is like hot on the radio like i'm just i always listen 
listen to that. Even when I go to the clubs, I'm like listening to the music. I'm like, damn, like, I love the way the vocals sound. I love the way the drums sound. I love the way they like they hit you. Like all the frequencies are so like everything's so separated. And it just sits really nice. Like nothing's harsh, and but everything's super clear. Like. So, and, and I've always, like, that's how I picture metal sounding, like the perfect metal mix sounding, you know, but it's so hard to do that with metal because you're technically, you're taking all these, like, fast drums and, like, heavily distorted guitars and screaming and yelling. Shit that doesn't sound clean is the opposite of clean, <laughs> you know, clean yep. and smooth. And you're just trying to polish it and make it sound clean and smooth. So it's, it's, it's so tricky and it's, it's just, it's definitely a challenge to get it to sound the way it's supposed to sound. I agree. I honestly feel like metal, the the big sounding metal stuff is like the hardest stuff to mix because it's wrong. It's just arranged wrong. Like everything about it's wrong. It's all noise. It's all fast. It's all in the same frequency ranges. Like so much oh, yeah. distortion, so much double bass, heavy guitars that are tuned down to who knows what interfering with the bass like screaming vocals is just wrong bro like metal in a way yo mixing metal is like polishing a trash can totally <laughs> i've always said that i'm like yo like you know but it's cool it's 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 not like in a way it totally is that and it's um it, it plays tricks with your mind that's why yo that's why Huge, huge, huge shout out and, and respect to Joey Sturgis, you know, because his mixes are like, oh, yeah. I feel like he's always had that, that, like exactly what I'm talking about. He's always had that. Yeah, he figured out the, the equation for sure. Yeah, like he he gets metal to sound like clean like and poppy the way it should be, you know, like, and when I say poppy, I mean just like every frequency sits the way it's supposed to, like it does in rap or like a, like a rap or pop song. You know, but at the same time, it's metal. Yeah, but it sounds huge. Yeah, nothing's harsh to the ears, and his his mixes are really smooth. But yeah, I don't I don't know how. Yeah, he's he's a boss, man. Yeah, it's funny because I I think a a lot of people used to shit talk his mixes and say that all he did was use presets or whatnot, and it's like, why don't you try to mix a metal? album to sound the way his do and now that we've done nail the mix with for a while now and we've done it with some of his mixes we've gotten to hear people try to do it and uh yeah (laughs) it's uh, not so easy when not so easy huh (laughs) yeah no for sure man yo i remember back in the day like even when we were finishing volumes mixes like when i was finishing volumes mixes i'd be listening to sturgis and i'd be like damn like fuck like how is he getting this shit i'd just be sitting in my room like Yo, what the fuck is he doing to get get this shit sound so good? Like, and I would just be trying going back and forth, and it's like, yeah, man, he's he's a he's 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 a man. He's a, he's definitely a wizard. I think, like, I've been paying attention, and I think that there's definitely his EQ abilities are superior to most people. He's got an incredible ear for that, so he knows like. He gets some very, very interesting-looking curves happening. Really? And uh, they always sound incredible. And uh, he has a very, very uh, extreme, but I guess well-thought-out concept of dynamics. Like, um, he go he nails limiters super hard, and he's very aggressive with it, but he does it just right. And so it pushes everything to the front like that, but you combine his understanding of dynamics with his ability to EQ, everything gets pushed to the front, 
but in just the right balances. It's it's crazy. It's uh, it's definitely wizard level stuff. Yeah, man. Damn. Yeah, like recently working on 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 different styles of music that that aren't metal that are kind of like more more naturally good sounding to the ear. You know, like mm-hmm. like like a female singer over like a nice piano or like in some good drums. Some you know, working with pre-mastered samples and stuff. It's given me it's given me a chance to kind of like step back and kind of like reevaluate uh, EQing and compression from from a, a different perspective from like zero again, and um, kind of just uh, focusing on just making things sound musical and doing that for a while and then going back to metal it's given me a great edge to kind of look at uh, metal in a more musical way and focus more on like musical things as opposed to like the way notes resonate and the way like everything like i don't know just uh, fuck what am i trying to say well i think that that's where a lot of metal guys lose the plot in their mixes is that they spend so much of their mental energy on the frequency balance that they forget about the music uh, what the best mixers have is a combination of the two so the song still hits emotionally as much as it's well balanced yeah man and and also like uh as opposed to like me focusing on like hey how heavy can this sound or how hard hitting can it sound you know we're focusing on something like that like that's not really like it's better to focus on the overall picture like all right what's this song even about like like, like, let's think about all the layers this song has and, and how it would be the most beautiful way to bring things out. As opposed to trying to be all about how heavy it could sound and how, like, how much bass it could sound and, and like, how fucking, you know, because naturally when you get into metal, I mean, at least for me, like, that's, you know, I just always love that part about it. But, like, if you focus more on the other things, it allows... I, I think it allows those parts to hit harder. Yeah. A good example is that, uh... Yeah, tuning down or adding strings to your guitar definitely can help things sound heavy, but there's also some bands that don't tune down that low that still sound just as heavy, and it's because the music is written in in a way where it's emotionally heavy, and the production, whoever produced and mixed it, knew that and captured the right spirit. And oh yeah, some of those bands sound just as heavy as bands that have like... 17 strings on their guitar and tune eight octaves below the bass you know no for sure man <laughs> eight octaves <laughs> yeah you can't even hear it i agree man yo so much of this music shit like um so much of recording and producing it's so much about emotion man and capturing the right vibe in the studio that's why it, it even boils down to your energy in the studio man the way you communicate with people the way like like what type of energy you bring to people because at the end of the day, you're getting a, you're capturing a performance from someone, you know. So that's that's a performance in every aspect of the word. You want to like encourage the right like emotion and energy from the people you're recording, and that's that's the most important part. If you get that right, then you don't have to spend all this time like trying to wondering like why something doesn't sound good or you know. It's just the way everything's captured, in my opinion, and especially when it comes to recording vocals and writing songs, like which is something when I was doing a lot of metal, I didn't I didn't really uh. Or focusing on a lot of metal, I, I didn't really like. It's easy to, to pass that because you're doing a lot of guitars and editing guitars and chopping stuff up. And but when you start, when I when I started doing more vocal editing and or I mean vocal engineering and producing, that's just something that I noticed, and I and I started paying more attention to. And now going back to the metal world, I made sure to to pay attention to that when I was recording the guitars for the new volumes album. 
uh, when I was writing the songs, I, like, I, I focused a lot on the emotional um, aspect of, of, of uh, the music. Well, is case in point, like the broccoli session that you were talking about where you guys nailed it in 20 minutes? Dude, yeah, I mean, the whole song, I guess, after I... I all right, so the song, most of the song was written in, in 20 minutes. Like, my buddy wrote... All right, so my buddy Jay Graham was... Uh, he, was produ he was the producer... And along with my buddy Roger Shahayed, and he's Roger's a keyboard player, so Roger started playing some some things on the keys. And uh, Jay Graham told him like he he saw him playing something, he was like, "Yo, keep playing that." And so we recorded it in. And then Jay Graham programmed some drums real quick. We recorded it into Pro Tools, and then Drum listened to it, and um, he was like, "All right, I, I think I got a hook. All right, put me, you know, record, start recording me." So I recorded him over the hook and, and over the beat, and he just wrote improvised the hook. And it was all so quick. But hold on, I'm, I'm fucking getting distracted. What what did you just ask me? Because I just went off. Oh, I don't know. No. I, I was asking... Oh, I, I want to hear about the broccoli session anyways. So, but, uh, but we were talking about how one of the things that you learn from other music is just letting things be musical. And by letting things be musical and focusing on the beauty of it all, you don't have to spend forever worrying about how it sounds and all these dumb technical things. And you said that the broccoli session was so quick. I feel like that's a perfect example. Oh, yeah. that you know, Yeah, especially with that whole realm of music, it's, it's so based on, like, what you're feeling at the time, you know? And it, it's like... That song was based on Drum feeling happy and, and smoking some weed. He was smoking a joint while he, while, while, you know, and he was thinking about, oh, what should I write about this? Oh, these girls always try to smoke my weed. All right, I'm going to write, you know, I'm, I'm, he's just like a happy <laughs> dude. And he just went in the booth and recorded some shit about girls smoking his weed. And, and boom, like, that was it. But, like, it, it, I think the reason the song came out so good um, it was so successful because the vibe in the room was right. Everything was good, like. Everyone was on point. And, you know, shout out to Jay Graham and Roger. They're, you know, great producers. You know, I feel like in metal, it's hard to get those vibes sometimes because everything is so cut up. But, and so, like, I guess sectioned, like, and riffs are built. But that's why if you're working with artists that are really good and everyone's really good at what they do you can have moments like that yeah so. man that's honestly yo i feel like with these bigger sessions like these these bigger songs like you just have a group of five motherfuckers who know what the hell they're doing you know like yep. everyone in that room knows what they're doing and when you have that you can it's just another level of workflow you know so so I there's totally some mastery with involved like, working with animals as leaders like um a couple of years ago that's a perfect example of, of that happening in metal you know like all those dudes are just really gnarly at what they do and they like you know Tosin and Javier have, have a Tosin, Javier and Matt have a really good vision as to what they want their, their songs to sound like and uh, they're all and really they proficient you know we're not we're not spending a lot of, we didn't spend time like focusing on, on bullshit it was just all like like everyone just kind of got the workflow and we uh you know i love it when it works that way yeah man like everything was just really easy going and um you know every time someone you know has something to say it's it's productive <laughs> obviously we're not spending time getting like crazy takes you know because tosin and javier are so good at guitar but i feel like that's like the best music is made that way you know that's why it's harder with some of these bands you know because you're like or these smaller bands because you know they might have one or two really good dudes and then the rest if someone's in the 
room that doesn't really isn't up to par and, and but then still stops the session or, or stops things to say stuff like yeah <laughs> I hate to be that guy but it's just like you know, I've just from experience I've seen it work one way I've seen it work with broccoli I've seen it work with animals as leaders like I mean you sometimes you just gotta be the be a bastard <laughs> yeah man you just gotta be fucking good at what you do man you gotta you gotta take this shit seriously it's a career like you know this is your this is your career like you you want to be proficient at what you do you want to be good but uh yeah i i love i love surrounding myself with people that like i said i think are better than me <laughs> makes a huge difference so i'm wondering uh so i want to ask you a little about juan gabriel because getting a grammy for that's no small thing and i was wondering what was it like first of all working with your dad on that man it was uh it was an honor all right so he started doing so juan gabriel right before he passed away the last couple albums like rest in peace he just passed away six months it's been you know it's been a hard time for all of us you know you can imagine he he released a couple albums where he was um the last times he released he was re-releasing and re-recording his songs and having my dad kind of reproduce them but he would team up with like another artist like uh he would get like a feature on the song to help to to sing the song with him you know and and have like these artists do like maybe even write a new verse in the song or or re-sing one of the hooks or whatever it is it's it's kind of it's a duet he was doing duets with with artists so on the first one we got a bunch of cool artists and um we got fifth harmony on one and and like i said since i've always been heavily into you know, doing pop or hip hop or whatever, and and I'm I'm going out there. I'm I'm always like current with like with music and, and what's coming out. My dad had come to me and and asked me if I could uh, mix and produce the the Fifth Harmony duet with Juan Gabriel. So I took the song and um, we worked on it, and I got Brandon involved too, my buddy Brandon Paddock, who who co-produces volumes with me, and we we did the song, and it came out great. And it was like an EDM version. It was it was like a dance song. So, you know, I, I pulled up, you know, kicks like kick samples from Vengeance and like, nice, you know, clap samples or whatever and referenced it to like, you know, whatever was on the radio at that time. And we did a good job. And I think I, I also did one other track on that one. But at the end of the day, when, the, when everything came out, like those tracks did really well. So um, on the second time around, the single for the album was this. It was called uh, La Frontera and it was an old song. Uh, Juan Gabriel had released in the 80s and we got this guy named Jay Balvin to rap on it. He's like the Drake of like reggaeton. So that being said, my dad knows I'm going to clubs, I'm listening to radio and like, you know, we d I did a good job on the last one. And uh, so he came to me, he's like, Diego, you know, you kind of know, you know about this, this style of music better than me. You're more in tune with what's going out. And obviously like through the years, him hearing my work with volumes and, and doing all this stuff, like all these bands I produced and uh, all these artists I've been producing, he's obviously developed a trust. Like, yo, I, I, I trust you. This is a huge project. Like, you know, see if you can uh, bang out the reggaeton part for J Balvin to rap over. And I called my buddy DJ OK, who's like a, a well-known DJ. And I had him send me over some reggaeton samples, layered them in, finished the song. And I sent it. I sent it to my dad and he sent it out to Juan Gabriel. And he sent it out to Jay Balvin, and they heard it, and they liked it. They liked my work. So they approved it, and um, that was that, man. And we finished that song up, and then he came to me and asked me to do two more songs. One with this artist named Wisin, and one with another one called uh, Paulina Rubio. So the one with Wisin was a total dance remix 
and uh, I ended up just like doing the whole thing. I just uh, I mixed and it just worked out that way. Yeah, I, I, I mixed and produced the whole song. But with the We Seen one, we also had other people turn in mixes. So and they didn't tell they didn't tell Juan Gabriel or anyone like, oh, this is Diego's mix or this. They he just got three or four mixes. And they chose mine. How did that feel? Incredible, man. I was really excited. I, I wasn't, I mean, yeah. I put, on, I put on a lot of work, and uh, I can't even believe we won the Grammy, bro. Like, that shit is just yeah, crazy. Seriously. It's crazy. We won we won album of the year, and, and fucking, we won best regional album. But that's the story behind that. So even, even with the Juan Gabriel stuff, you know, even with uh, my dad trusting me with, with all the work and everything, like, I still was up against other people, so... I feel really blessed that um, they chose my mix and um, I was able to be part of such a legendary project, you know, it was kind of like a biggest thing I've ever worked on. Yeah, man, it's huge. Um, so I'm wondering, did you have to get into a different headspace to record that stuff and to mix that stuff? I guess a different headspace than what you do with, say, volumes or do a lot of the same principles and techniques work across the genre gap for you? Um, I definitely had to get in a different headspace because, you know, you're not you're working with with clean sounding stuff like like with EDM music. The samples are pre-mastered, you know, it's like with with metal when you're miking up drums, you're spending all this time trying to EQ a snare, trying to EQ a kick, just getting raw samples to sound good whereas with this stuff it's kind of like you're not really worried about that it's like you you choose the samples that sound good enough you know and if the sample doesn't sound good enough and you have to spend time EQing it it's probably not or like drastically EQing it you know like it's probably not the right sample so like I said going back to the musical aspect of everything like this is where I'm really just focusing on the music, like how good do the vocals. So it's more vocal oriented, and it sounds like it's it's more about the big picture than than about the small details because the small details sound like they're yeah, provided like I, in I, I a way. I, I just chose like really good samples. I didn't I didn't spend time like mixing, I'm uh, EQing and compressing the samples. They just sounded good from the get go. I kind of focused all my energy on synth work finding cool like synth nexus 2 uh vanguard getting that stuff to sound like really wide and open and vocal mixing like uh you know delays reverb and and also structuring the song well uh, like honestly like a major key to that was like all right where, where do we put the drops you know where where are we going to build the song up what you know like that's a huge part of it too like getting all that right and making sure the song feels right and it's like you got to kind of picture yourself like all right you're in a club dancing like what do you want to hear what's going to make people dance so it's 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 one it's 100 different mentality with metal it's like you you're just kind of when i write for volumes I'm, I'm picturing like all right i'm in front of a whole crowd i'm playing with my band what's going to get this crowd like going you know with this stuff, it's kind of like, all right, I'm in the club. What's going to sound good in the club? So with me, I just kind of live through... I use, like, real-life experiences to guide me. That makes sense. Well, I guess you're you're getting a different reaction out of the crowd. I guess in one case, they're dancing, and in the other case, they're slamming into each other. But, I mean, it sounds to me like it's the same goal in the end, which is to ignite them emotionally enough to where they start moving their bodies yeah I, I think that's the name of the game with 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 edm and, and that's something i want to dive in to start doing more with one of the tracks one of the th uh, three tracks i i worked on on the juan gabriel record I, I had like i said i mentioned my buddy dj okay i had him come by 
and I learned a lot of stuff from him because he he just does EDM stuff and he's a uh, he's like well established in the EDM world. But kind of seeing like how he like would stop the song and be like, all right, let's put a drop here and then like, all right, let's choose these samples and uh, just see him do his thing. Like I just, like I said, I always learned so much from working with people. So doing those, that track, and then I actually had collabed on another track on the first Juan Gabriel record with uh, with DJ OK and I saw him work and I, I saw him come in and he's like, all right, let's try using these samples. And um, I, I paid attention to what type of samples he was using, like how they hit, like what, like how much bass they had or whatever how they sound mm -hmm. sounded so i kind of used that to kind of guide me with uh, the we seen remix that i did on the los Dos. that helped me learn about this style a lot makes sense so in your experience is the world of latin music production or just latin music much different than the world of american music and can you give any insights into why or how yes it's, it's definitely way different i mean um I'd say, I mean, yo, radio music is all the same. Like, American radio music, Latin radio music, like, you're, you're just trying to get people to dance. But when it comes to, the like, doing radio or, or uh, dance Latin music and metal, those two are huge, very different, you know? With volumes, I'm writing for, uh, for people to mosh to. I'm, I'm picturing myself on stage. Whereas with the Juan Gabriel stuff, I'm... I'm uh, I'm kind of picturing um, myself at a club, like what would I want to hear, you know, what's going to get girls dancing, like you're writing music for, for people to dance to, you know, not to mosh to, so the whole vibe is different, the whole um, aesthetic of the song and genre is, is, is just different, and you're obviously writing music for a different crowd of people. So, but besides that, then it sounds like for you on your end, working on Latin music isn't that different than working on like American pop or anything? Or American dance music. It's it's um they have more they have similarities you know I guess Latin music is is based on like you have ranchero, you have uh, reggaeton, you know and then you have uh, you have a bunch of different um types of uh, you have cumbia, cumbia uh, a bunch of different types of Latin music so uh, at the end of the day in my opinion like the way I see it is you're just trying to get people to dance and like all right if you're doing an American dance song. You're taking more influence uh, from like R&B and like uh, and hip hop, whereas with a Latin song, it's like you still want to get that same effect, but you want to use these these uh, aspects of Latin music, you know, of, of uh, a reggaeton or whatever it is, you know. But you're still trying to get this, the people to do the same thing. Yep. With with American radio music and Latin radio music, it's they're they're similar. You know, it's it's definitely a there's a bigger difference between American metal music and American radio music than there is between American radio music and Latin radio music. Makes sense. Different cultures revolve around different uh, styles of music, and um, you're drawing influence from these different cultures. At the end of the day, you're, you're getting people to dance. They're going to be These songs are going to be played in clubs. You kind of want to write these for, for that, that environment. So you just know what the... I guess, though, the thing that is in common and uh, between all the styles is that you know what effect you want to have on your audience before you even start yeah you know it's like that's that's with any any musical job you know if you're writing for a commercial like you gotta like see the commercial and see like what the commercial is about and kind of fit into the type of vibe you know if, if um you're doing a car commercial like you might want to add some rock and roll guitar in there and like a, a cool guitar solo you know if you're doing like a like a prescription drug commercial like Zoloft or something. <laughs> you probably want to write like really soothing and comfortable and like 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 music, you know, something something that makes someone feel 
you know, safe. Yeah. As they read all the side effects. <laughs> might cause death, might cause whatever the fuck. Might. But yeah, I mean, with dance music, you, you want people to dance to it. So Perfect. So... All right, so we have a question from Jamel Banner, which is, uh, can you discuss your hip-hop production slash beat-making styles some? Yes, sir. So with hip-hop, man, with hip-hop and, and any radio genre to begin with, it's all for me, it's all about pre-mastered samples. If you get the right samples, like... That's, it's the make it or break it. You know, you could have a great song, but it, I'm well. I mean, that's that's how I work because I'm I'm such a like nerdy producer, like uh, engineer. Like, I want my shit to sound like. That's why I even started recording in the first place. I want my shit to sound really good. So that being said, with hip hop, once I allotted, I spent the right time and allotted the the and found the right samples off of working with other people or doing sessions, getting stems, mixing stems, taking kicks from stems I was mixing and and uh, buying packs online, I gathered like a collection of, of the right samples that I like. And now when I make a hip hop beat, I just pull up the folder and I drag and drop and I don't have to mix anything. I don't have to EQ kicks or snares, nothing. It's You just kind of have to level everything out volume wise. And it, with that being said, um, I've learned a lot from this guy, Jay Graham, who uh, I've been working with. I've been engineering for him and, and he, he produced a broccoli joint so seeing him work in the studio and, and kind of how he does stuff, I, it kind of just, I had already been doing things a certain way, but watching him work kind of reassured me, all right, here's an established producer in this realm working with these big artists, and um, he works that way too. He's got he's got everything set, like, he's, his samples knock off the top. He's not spending time EQing, like, or, or really fucking with, with, like, kicks and snares. Obviously, he still EQs, like, stuff, and, mm-hmm. and he sort the 808s and... and and whatnot, but it's not what I'm. What I'm saying is, I'm I'm used to metal, you know, where it's like you're really spending time hammering those drums and getting the sound right. Like with this, is it's if you're gonna EQ or, or do something, it's something very subtle. Like if you're if you have a lot of bass, if you, if you have your 808s knocking and your hi hats are are going fast, you might want to roll off a little bit of the low end on the hi hats so that they don't like make your 808 wobble. Or like uh, so they they don't conflict. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, with with that's the that's the take I take. Uh, well, that's the my take on, on making hip hop beats, working with pre mastered samples, and um, uh, also finding really cool synths. You know, there's a lot of really cool synths that sound good right off the bat. Nexus Two, Electra X, you have Purity. Those are all like more hip hop synths. You have Vanguard. You have Silence, Omnisphere. Like there's just the list go is is endless. So working with really good synths too is really inspiring. You know, if you open up a cool synth and it has good patches from the get go, it's inspiring. You know, you just hit a note and it's like, oh whoa, like this is cool, and it, and it just kind of like, I don't know, it's easier for you to envision a song once you hear a, a note or or I mean a sound or whatever. That was actually that was actually kind of the next question uh, from Jack Hartley, which was, what are some of your favorite soft synths and plugins for? ear candy and additional production oh for sure i mean yeah all the ones i just mentioned were really good contact has really good ones like like uh you know if you buy complete 10 it comes with a shitload of uh libraries so you have like evolved mutations you have like action strings you know trillion is really good for bass trillion is pretty good yeah yeah it's almost like unless you have unless i have a really amazing bass i use trillion because it's just not worth it with with record. Oh, that's one thing I just want to say. Like, yo, when you record bass, like, it's all about how good the bass is. Because, re- like, once you record with a really good bass, you realize, like, oh shit, you just gotta plug it in, 
and then maybe throw a little bit of an EQ and a compressor, like if anything. But if it doesn't sound really good when you plug it in, like I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I think not only the bass, but the person playing it. Yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. Especially with finger basses, like it's a it's a huge it's huge huge aspect of bass. So here is one from uh, from Rodney Altenbaugh, which is. How did you get into the composing side of things for artists? Mm. Well, initially, the only reason I even started recording was because I was writing my own stuff, and I wanted a way to like um, remember it and, and, and not forget what I was doing. So, But what happened was I started recording, and then I'd go listen like, when I first started recording, I was re- I remember Asley Dine had just released Shadows Are Security. And um, so I started recording stuff. And that album came out along with a, a couple other albums like Miasma, Black Dyer Murder, and um, of Despised Icon and, or whatever. But I remember just hearing those albums. I was like, damn, like, yo, I need to get my stuff to sound like I like if I could record something and it sounded this sick, like I would just it would just be the coolest thing that could ever happen to me in my whole entire life. So. I kind of made it like my life goal to somehow get what I was recording to sound that good, to sound like an album. And then that's how it all started. And then that just led me on to so many other things. So for what, but what I'm saying is that I started, uh, I was composing stuff and that's how I even got into recording. So I guess naturally I've always been, uh, um, a composer and I guess everything else, um, came secondary to me, even though at certain points, in certain projects I've been involved in, I haven't been like the main composer. I've been more of like a, a producer or a mixer or whatever it is. But initially, that's 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 where it is. So that's where I started. So I, it, it always revolves. I mean, it always uh, comes back to that at the end of the day. So you were a writer first. Yeah. So it just makes sense that your writing skills will will be utilized and exploited by the people you work with and that's something that i've noticed but a lot of the producers i know who end up writing on people's records are songwriters to begin with like they write music they enjoy writing music it's not and so it's just a natural thing because when people work with them they have ideas to share and uh the artists like their ideas because they're good at it. So I think that people who want to do that more, they just need to write more music and get good at it and just make that a thing you do. Like if you want to write music for artists, first start writing for yourself all the time and just get good at writing so that when you are working with artists, your writing chops are, let's just say, are developed so that you can give them good ideas. I mean, yeah, man, like if you're working with an artist, like if you if you can't even write for yourself, how are you going to what are you going to offer them? You know, because that's why. And and this is something I want to say, because I experience things from from both sides. I'm an artist and I'm a producer. So I've been in a situation where. I'm the artist in the room, and I've been in a situation where I'm the producer. And um, the artist comes first, man. Like, I see a lot of producers kind of, like, maybe even in hip-hop or uh, other realms, like, they kind of, like, value themselves more than the artist, or they, they kind of have this, like, stigma to where, like, they think they're more important than the artist, so therefore they, they, they kind of do things, they put themselves first in a kind of, like, a in, a in a weird, like, yep. controlling way, you know? And, and it's, like... First off, if you're a producer and you feel that way about an artist, you shouldn't even be working with them. You should be working with people that that you respect, you know. And, and if you don't, then you know, uh, you I don't even know why you're working with them. 
But, uh, ooh, going back to the question. Yeah, it's always important for the producer. So when you're a producer, like, well, all you're doing is you're offering your your talents to the artist, you know? So however they want to utilize your talents, like, you can you help them out. So that's, that's what I like doing when I'm a producer. Like, when I'm working with an artist, it's like, all right, like, they have the vision. And, you know, any way I can help them get there or I can help fill in the blank spots of their vision that, that isn't that they haven't figured it out yet, like that's how I like helping them and I think um That makes sense. Yeah, artists are grateful for that, you know? That's how I've always approached it and how I've always seen it work. And then the thing is that once you do that enough, then you might develop a reputation as a writer and if you get repeat business, if you wrote for them the first time by just doing it as part of your production services, you might get asked to help. And if you get a, the word gets around, like a, a dude like Drew Falk, for instance, who mainly just writes, but he also produces, like people talk and that's how you get this work. But originally it just starts as you filling in the blanks for people. Exactly. So, you know, you fill in the blanks and then people start realizing like, oh damn, this dude's like really good at this. Like, and then they talk about you and they, and they you know, like, and they let it be known. So with that being said, like, yo, like your reputation, your word of mouth, like, it goes a long way. If you're like, it's always, you got to be like, a, you got to be a, a, a good person, good friend, good, um, you know, like, aside from being talented, it's important to have good morals, you know, to it's so that people want to come back and work with you. You know, you, even if you're really good at what you do, like, if you're if you kind of like piss people the people you're working with off like it's just kind of like common sense like who who's gonna want to work with someone who they don't like you know like so it's just it's just way more beneficial to your talents to um to always just sociable person man you know and 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 have and keep keep good morals yeah and approach it from a standpoint of how can you help yeah yeah Yeah. for sure you and, and one thing some the thing is every artist wants something different man like an artist could come to you and be like, hey, man, uh, can you just write this for me? In which that case, all right, cool. All right, this is what I'm asked to do. And then you go in and do it. You know, and every artist kind of wants something different. And then, but I think as a producer, when, when I'm brought in as a producer, I kind of, that's the first thing I do. I'm like, all right, what, what is this artist? What does he want from me? You know, and then uh, along the road, you might find out that he wants things he didn't even know he wanted from you or he or she wanted from you. So... I love producing and I love helping the artists out, you know, and I think being being my own artist in a way has taught me how to produce because it's it's helped me put myself in their shoes and been like, hmm, like, yo, if I was if I was doing volumes, like what would I want a producer to come in and help with or even though I'm, I'm, I'm also like, oh, obviously, like uh, heavily involved with with producing with volumes, too. But I, 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 I like having someone else to come in and, and help me sort out my ideas or whatever and, and kind of bounce ideas off of. And also learn. I, I learn so much when I work with people. Makes sense. So here's a question from Dal Moon, which is, how was the process like for composing physical education with animals as leaders? Uh, it was sick. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. We were, we were in my room, and Tosin and Javier had been, um, they, they came over to write, and Tosin brought, brought a, a guitar, and he plugged in, and he's like, yo, Diego, I got a cool riff. And then and it was that, that first riff. <laughs> So we ended up recording that, and then Tosin had a couple other riffs. And what we did is we recorded them separately. And then we ended up uh, piecing them together, and I just programmed a lot of the drums 
And, uh, well, I, when we were writing, I programmed all the drums. Obviously, Matt Garska went in and he, like, uh, the, being the beast he is, like, made them super, super sick. But uh, initially, yeah, uh, me, Tosin, and Javier put the song together and we structured it. And then Javier wrote that. Which to me, that, that part of the song, that's kind of like the vocal line, you know? That's kind of like the hook. So it is the hook. So that was really fun. And that was, that was another situation where everyone kind of knew what the hell they were they were doing and, and it was it was really uh the song just came out man it kind of like wrote it you know there was no like forcing we didn't have to like restructure stuff we didn't have to go back and like i did i did a lot of the synth work and um i helped compose like the one of the leads and then i composed a lot of the drums but it, it was it was a wonderful experience working with those two and i learned so much and and at the time i was i was so like Javier is just such a good guy. You know, Javier and Tosin are such good guys because, like, they saw me do the volume stuff and they saw me do the production for that and they were, like, off the bat. They were like, yo, let's, let's, we should do some shit. And, you know, me, I had been taking lessons from Tosin and I really looked up to them. Uh, I still do. And it was just, it was just such a, like, honor for me to be able to work with such talented musicians and, and have them show respect back and, and want to collaborate and create something so cool. So I definitely, uh, I learned a lot. Man, it's always awesome when you can work with people that you admire and they're all so cool and they treat you with respect. It's like, yeah, this is what it's all about. Yeah, man. It was definitely an incredible experience. I love to work with them again. Awesome. Well, Diego, I'm going to end the podcast now. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing so much with our crowd. You've been an awesome guest and, uh, I can't wait to hear the new volumes and maybe we can have Kyle Black come back on Nail the Mix and do a volumes track. Yeah. I'm That'd sure. be awesome. Well, well, thanks for having me. Dude, thank you so much. This episode of the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Joey Sturgis Tones. Creating unique audio tools for musicians and producers everywhere. Unleash your creativity with Joey Sturgis Tones. Visit joeysturgistones.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today. Hey.